so excited next week to start this new journey into being restored by the good and beautiful God. So we invite you to come and take part of that with us next week. Uh, but for day, today, I just want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us in the sanctuary and online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God all together this morning. If you know me at all, you know that I love to sing. And this time of year seems to give a lot of opportunity for that. But I have noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our culture doesn't really tend to sing a lot anymore. Even if you go to a football game or something, people don't necessarily join in on the national anthem. But, and if you remember, people used to have all these get-togethers where you just come together around a piano and just sing songs together. It seems like that only happens in old movies now. But Christmas time seems to be the exception to that rule. There's just so many good songs that everyone seems to know. And one of the songs that I grew up singing was the 12 Days of Christmas. Do you remember that one? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Kind of a bizarre little song. And as a kid, I always wondered, why are there 12 days? Why not 14? Two full weeks of Christmas. That sounds good to me. And I have no idea why we only celebrate Jesus' birth for 12 days, but I know what celebration historically comes after the 12th day of Christmas. We celebrate what the church has called Epiphany, and it's a season that starts with the Magi finding Jesus. So if Christmas is the season of God's gift to the world of Jesus, Epiphany, the season of new sight, is the season to ask, what is this gift for? What did Jesus come for? Epiphany reveals that Jesus came to be prophet, priest, and king for us and for the world as our Savior. And if you've heard the word epiphany before used in conversation, it's usually something like an aha moment. Eureka, I've had an epiphany, right? Something I couldn't see before now is clear to me. And the Magi showing up at Jesus' doorstep becomes a pretty big epiphany for God's people. It's an aha moment because they start to see that God is serious about the global scale of what the angels proclaimed at this birth, that it, Jesus is hope for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the shepherds, when they had met Jesus, they were amazed that common laborers like themselves were the very first ones to know the birth of the Savior. They're Jewish laborers. But now with the arrival of non-Jewish magi, the whole lid is blown off of their expectations. The shepherds got a personal invitation by angels, but the magi read it on a starry billboard. This good news is for everyone. You can't get more public than that. Those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. But we also see in this story that not everyone wants to walk in the light. That while this story shows us the global scale of what God is doing, it also shows us the world's reaction to that. It foreshadows the kind of opposition that Jesus and his followers will face in the world. Opposition this, the world still tends to give to God's greatest gift. But we see it in this text in King Herod. And before you can understand the effect of this, you have to know a little bit about who King Herod is. Because this is no good King Wenceslas. He's a little bit more like a mafia godfather. This is the guy who arranged for multiple public murders of well-loved citizens to take place at the moment his death would be announced just to guarantee someone would cry. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. 
He arranged for the assassinations of the sons of all his enemies and eventually most of his own family. Herod built his reign through terror. He wasn't afraid to be brutal. He wasn't afraid to be hated. Herod really wasn't one to be afraid at all. And this was the man who was sitting in state in Jerusalem when the announcement came that humbly begging an audience with him were some magi, some religious and politically connected members of the Persian court who had come to ask a question that anyone more familiar with Herod would not have dared to ask. They asked, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising and have come to pay him homage. These people came to worship the one born to replace him. And scripture tells us when King Herod heard this, he was terrified. These foreigners knew about a plot against him that was rising up out of his own kingdom. And it was so obvious to them, they assumed he already knew about it. How in the world had he missed what these foreigners had seen from hundreds of miles away? Herod was frightened because people he could kill, terrorize into silence, maim into compliance, but he couldn't put out the stars. He couldn't silence the message that was cutting through the heavens. Herod knew that something was going on that was bigger than he. And you better believe he was scared. Because those who make their living in the shadows find the coming of the light as no good news. And especially not from this particular source. Because the Parthians, the Persians, had been an enemy of Rome from the get-go. And Herod owed his throne to Rome. They're the ones who put him in power. And these magi were a hereditary priestly class of the Persians, and they were given that status because they were considered to be really good at dream interpretation and things like that. And through different Persian rulers throughout history, the magi had had different levels of status. Uh, but they did know some things about Jewish culture and prophecy. Because, you see, many generations before that, during the exile, there had been a Jewish man in the Persian court named Daniel. God had given him the power to interpret dreams and prophesy so much that the Persian king Darius had made Daniel the chief of the Magi, which was kind of a scandal because he obviously wasn't of that hereditary bloodline. But knowing all the prophecy that God had given Daniel that we have in the biblical book of Daniel, it's not even a stretch of the imagination to imagine that God would reveal to Daniel that the coming of his Messiah would be accompanied by a star. So, of all the non-Jews in the world who might have known anything about Jesus' birth, it makes sense that it was the Magi who knew about it. The Magi knew from Daniel and the exiles that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, and they must have been so excited to actually see this sign that they had been told about. And it made sense to them that they would follow up what God was doing because they had been uniquely equipped by their history to do so. There's only one hiccup in their plan, Knowing that Jews were expecting a promised Messiah, they wrongly assumed that King Herod was Jewish or that he was actually interested in what God was doing. What they didn't count on was the actual kind of king that Herod was. I mean, when you think about this story, what kind of guy has the gall to have people look up in God's word where God's Messiah would be born so Herod could try to kill him? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Either, either way, either you say, hogwash, that prophecy doesn't mean anything, I don't believe any of that, forget that baby, I'm the king. Or you say, let's look up that prophecy and find out if there's anything to this. Because if there is, we want to stay on God's good side, right? 
But what you don't say is, let's look up God's prophecy to find out where Almighty God is sending his Messiah so I can stop God's plans. <laughs> right? What kind of arrogance is that? In a way, King Herod is kind of like a new Pharaoh. Do you remember Pharaoh, king of Egypt? Herod refuses to acknowledge God's power even though it scares him to death. He sees it. He knows it's real, but he thinks that somehow he can figure out a way to one-up or outmaneuver God. That shows a whole lot of arrogance or a whole lot of ignorance or both. Proverbs 14, 16 says, The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. The term fool in biblical language is often defined as a person who makes choices as if God didn't exist or who lives as if God hasn't spoken. And Herod had lived his life thinking that he was the master of everything that he surveyed when in truth he was only a temporary guardian. And Herod was very smart, very shrewd, but he was also a fool because he was trying to operate in the dark by keeping his eyes closed to the light, kind of like a kid who thinks if he closes his eyes, no one can see him. But if Herod let himself see the light, it would have to change how he operated, right? It would have to change to see his life in the light of eternity, in light of God's kingship, not just in what he himself could control for his own benefit. So Herod chose to keep his eyes closed. And that leads me to ask, are there things that you're keeping your eyes closed to when God keeps shining his light anyway? Are there things that God is trying to show you that you're not letting in because that would mean that you'd have to acknowledge that he's the one in control? Do you know that God's heart for you is good? What are you afraid of? So with the start of a new year, isn't it time to dare to take the blinders off? To listen? Isn't it better to live in the light, even if it means things have to change? I think that was just starting to dawn on Herod, because no matter how much darkness he tried to create, he couldn't keep the light from shining. He couldn't keep others from seeing it. And the truth is, Herod would never live to see his kingdom usurped by this Messiah king, but I don't think he lived his life with much joy. Because all of his life, Herod lived in paranoia. His jealousy even caused him to kill his own wife because he was afraid she'd be unfaithful and produce a rival heir. Herod had a life of power, but no peace. If only he knew what God really had in mind, what God's idea of power was, or being a king was. He never would have fought for the kind of kingship that Jesus came to live. And the prophecy shows us what kind of king God is sending. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That this king that God was sending wouldn't be a dictator using power for himself. The king God would send would be a shepherd. One who's given charge of the flock to protect them and feed them and lead them and die for them. Not one who would rule by fear, but one who would use the power given him to bless and to lift up and to strengthen God's people by his own sacrifice. It's time for a completely different kind of rule. 
You see, Herod shows the epitome of what has gone wrong in the world, what Jesus came to change for us. Why we're in need of a new covenant with God that depends not on our ability to get things right, but on our dependence on the goodness of Christ for us. That in our sinfulness, we tend to crown in our lives only those things that we can see are of best benefit to us. But Jesus came to be a different kind of king for us to show us the heart of God the Father and give us access to that heart. The Magi knew that God was going to send a king. So they quite sensibly uh, looked for access to God's king in the palace. And how surprised they must have been to eventually follow the star to find instead a couple of extremely humble means and a child without fanfare or court Accepting their presence with surprise, but not with confusion. There they presented their gifts of kingship to this king. So now Jesus has been proclaimed king by shepherds and by foreigners. So that very unusual coronation shows us that with this king, that Jesus is sending light not just for one tribe or nation, but for the whole world. And since the king who's supposed to be leading God's people is instead trying to destroy God's work, God uses instead people who are simply seeking the truth to show us that in Christ, God's kingdom will be open to all who seek it, not just those born in the right situations, but to all who will believe. Eastern scholar, shepherd, teenage woman, thief on the cross are all invited to find life in this kingdom where this king rules. He came to draw us into God's family. And the gifts that these magis bring to Jesus uh, shows us who he came to be as prophet, priest, and king. And they tell us some things about how God is working in our lives too. So first of all, Jesus came to be our king, but not the kind of king that stays safely away from the dangers of the world. He is God's Messiah who is God with us. And because, as we know, darkness doesn't like the presence of the light, God's Son is born into humanity under the threat of the power-hungry and the violent. So within a few days of these magi, uh, this Magi visit, this little family is on the move to Africa, trying to escape King Herod and those trying to kill Jesus. And as refugees, they would need to establish a new life, a new home, and a new place. So the first gift, the kingly gift of gold, that the Magi brought them would have been used immediately to save their lives. The gift of gold reminds us that Jesus is king, but it also shows us a little something about how God works, that God is the provider. And that what God calls us to do, he will also provide the means for us to do. That that's who God is, and that's what he does. That before they even know that they'd have to run, God provided the means for them to do so through this kingly gift of gold. So what does that say for you? Is there something that you feel God is calling you to do? Do you know God as the provider? If those things are on your heart, bring them to him in prayer. See how he will respond. Because the prince of peace, this king, came to give us access to the Father. And the second gift, frankincense, is one of the major ingredients in the Bible in the incense holy to the Lord. Exodus 30 states that that incense is to be used only in worship. So I can assume that this gift was used as a tool for giving praise back to God. It's a priestly kind of gift. 
And that makes sense because Jesus came to be our high priest. He came to be the one who presents himself to God as our holiness. He himself is the offering. And he shows us that the greatest purpose of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy his presence. That the only way we find joy and fulfillment in life is through learning to rest in God's love and in God's presence, to learn to worship with our whole lives. And Jesus, as our high priest, is the one who brings us into God, his Father's presence, and brings us into God's favor. So will you let Jesus be your high priest, introduce you into rest and joy? And the third gift is myrrh. It's an ingredient in the oil of Exodus 30 that's used for anointing something sacred for a purpose. And the word Messiah means anointed one. Myrrh is also used in burial. So Jesus, the anointed one of God, has the purpose in death and life to be the one that God would use to accomplish what Jesus, his name, meant, the Lord saves. Myrrh was also used to anoint Jesus' body at, in the tomb after the cross. It's kind of a strange gift to give an infant. <laughs> but it's a gift of commissioning. It's a gift that points toward God's purpose. It's the gift of a prophet one who is anointed to reveal God's work to us through the pains of life and in death. And Jesus came to be our king, to make us citizens of this new kingdom, his eternal kingdom here and now, by being our good shepherd king. Secondly, Jesus came to be our high priest, to become our righteousness with God through his own sacrifice for our sin. And third, Jesus came to be the ultimate prophet of God because he knows the heart and the mind of God the Father for you. Jesus' purpose is to reveal God's love and restore you into it. He came to send his Holy Spirit to teach us how to hear God's heart in our lives too. And I think it's so interesting that those gifts that show us Jesus' identity and his kingship came from those who had been outside of God's covenant people. Isn't that interesting? It shows us what God is doing here. That in Jesus, it's not just one people, but the whole world who are being called back to God. If we'll open our eyes to see the light and to receive him and his gift. You see, these gifts that Jesus receives as our Savior, he now gives to us. He gives us the assurance that what God calls you to do, he will give you the means to do it. So in Jesus' name, take courage and ask. Approach the throne of grace because he paid the highest price to give you access to the Father. Jesus gives us the heart to worship, to find ourselves and our ultimate purpose in experiencing God's love for us, God's power and grace through surrender of worship, knowing that he is Lord and that we are his, we belong to him. And Jesus gives us the gift of purpose, that our unique situations in life, our talents, our relationships, these are all given to us to be tools to use as outposts of a new kingdom as we serve the king who first loved us in his purpose of welcoming everyone into the joy of being his family. In Jesus' birth at Christmas, we hear that this king would be for all the world, but that really doesn't mean anything to us until we know that this isn't just a king, but our king. He came to be king of my life, 
and of yours. A king who would pour out his life as a ransom for you and for me. Because God loves you so much that God wants you and his family forever. That he came looking from the ends of the earth for you. And then he sends us two to be agents of that mission for others. After Jesus' resurrection to new life after the cross, Jesus sent his disciples out into the world to spread that message of hope. So disciples, let them see the light of the world as God meant for it to be. To live in this world as citizens of a different kingdom. To reflect light into the darkness. The word epiphany means seeing things in a new light. And that's the way that we see the world through the eyes of Jesus. But people react very differently to light, as you know. Bright light can allow you to see farther than you imagined, but it also can reveal things that have to change how you see the world. So dare this epiphany, this brand new year, to open your heart to your king, to the light of his purpose, of his love for you, to live knowing that God has spoken in the word made flesh. Because that's the beginning of real wisdom. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift that you are, for coming to be our prophet, our priest, our king, the savior of our souls. Thank you, Lord, that you are the fulfillment of all of those things and that your purpose is to draw us back into the family of God. Lord, we pray that in this new year that you would teach us, Lord, to surrender those things that need to be surrendered and to receive the things from you that you want to give us. Lord, teach our hearts to know the truth of your love for each one of us, to see the path that you have set before each one of us, to walk this life in joy and peace and victory because of what you have done for us. Lord, we pray for a new start this year in being your disciples and in spending time with you. Lord, we pray for a renewed longing in our hearts to know more of you, to spend time with you, to listen to you, to be formed by your grace in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, teach us to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.